in a situation where you've done everything right. Uh, you know the right stuff, you say the right things, you do the right things, and yet there's something missing. Something not quite right. That's half the story of uh, John Wesley, uh, the great preacher uh, from uh, England that preached through America. He grew up in a very Christian family. His dad was an Anglican minister. His mum, uh, they had um, 19 kids. Can you imagine that? Uh, his mum taught all of them uh, the Bible. And I don't mean uh, they you know, taught the Bible stories. No, she taught them from the original languages, Hebrew and Greek. So it's that kind of family that he grew up in. Uh, he went on to study at Oxford, one of the most prestigious uh, colleges uh, of the time. Uh, studied theology and, and set to walk in his father's footsteps, became an Anglican minister. At Oxford, he joined a society that was started by his older brother called the Holy Society. And they, um, they t did whatever they could to present themselves as holy. Uh, they um, took communion once a week. They prayed daily. They visited prison. They kept each other accountable in, in how they were living. And they would spend up to three hours every afternoon studying the Bible and other devotional material. And so John Wesley, he, he did a lot of the right stuff. He knew a lot of the right stuff. He, he said all the right things. But there was something missing. There was something that that wasn't quite right. He, he had no fire. He, he, his ministry didn't have any fruit. He, he himself felt conflicted and torn. It's, he, he writes, he felt like he was constantly being knocked over and then getting up and then being knocked over again and getting up. And this all came to fruition when he was on a, a boat ship traveling from England uh, to America where he's going to, to be a missionary and serve an Anglican community in uh, Georgia. And on that ship, there was a great storm and the, the, the thunder was ear-piercing and the lightning was all around and the waves were crashing over the side of the boat. And Wesley it was losing his mind. He thought he was going to die. And of course, he being the Anglican minister on the ship, he was the chaplain. So people came to him asking him for prayer and, you know, John, can you help us? Can you pray for us? He's like, no, this is crazy. We're going to die. He was no help. He lost his mind. He feared for his life. But there's this group of Moravian, uh, the German Moravians, who through this whole ordeal in the chaos of this storm, they were singing praise. They didn't fear for their lives. They were singing. And John wondered, how could they possibly have that kind of serenity in this moment of chaos? How could they have that peace? And so he talked to them afterwards. He survived uh, the storm and he talked to one of the um, Moravian leaders. And he said, well, what's different? And the Moravian said, we trust in Jesus. Do you trust in Jesus? And John he said, well, yes, of course I do. I grew up in a Christian family. I'm an Anglican priest. I, you know, I teach other people to trust in Jesus. Of course I trust in Jesus. But later on, he writes, he said that in vain. It wasn't true. And it wasn't until uh, a bit later where he had uh, a moment where he fully understand personally who Jesus was and what he's done for John Wesley. 
He writes about it in his journal. Uh, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in uh, Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's pre preface to the Epistle of Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, in Christ alone for salvation, and assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And after that moment, after that meeting, everything changed for Wesley. His life, he was fulfilled, he, he preached with conviction, he actually wanted the people listening to engage and take on what he was saying. He described himself, he would set him alight so that people could come watch him burn, of course referring to his preaching. And uh, he would travel from town to town on horseback preaching about Jesus that, and the, the salvation that comes through him alone. And, and he saw thousands and thousands of Americans come to faith and ended up starting the Methodist movement. What was the difference? What changed from before to after? It was a genuine encounter with Jesus. He engaged and he realized who Jesus was, the Lord of all things, who gave his life for me. That realization that transformed his life, his ministry, everything. And I wonder, have you had that encounter? Have you encountered the, the, genuinely the Lord Jesus? Even though maybe many of us have grown up in a Christian family, we do the right things, we say the right things, we, we know the right things, and yet there's something missing. There's something lacking. Do we truly realize who Jesus is? Now, what does this have to do with our sermon series? Well, let me explain. Uh, we're working through the book of Colossians, the letter that Paul wrote to the, to the church in Colossae, uh, and Paul's already been describing um, giving thanks to God for their faith and celebrating that they've learned of the grace uh, that saves them from darkness into, the, into God's light. And at verse 15, Paul breaks into this next section, which most scholars consider a hymn. So it's like he's speaking and, and, and or writing uh, this letter, and then he suddenly breaks into song. Uh, uh, this amazing hymn uh, from the first century that, that is rich in theology, telling of who Jesus is. And that's what I want to hone in on and look at. Uh, I'm going to read this in a second. And then I wanna, I want, what I want to preach is, is two simple yet profound points. Uh, first, that Jesus is supreme over all creation. And the second, Jesus is supreme over the church. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Colossians 1. Uh, it's good to read along. Uh, it'll be on the screen. You can also open up your app and scroll down to 1 Colossians 1. Uh, sorry, sorry, Colossians 1, verse 15. And I will read from there. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning and the, sorry, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his whole fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, am a servant, have become a servant. So let's have a think about the first thing Paul says. Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. The God that created uh, all all human beings and created the world. Jesus is the image of him. The God who created uh, human beings and created um, all of creation. And inherently, a creation uh, can't have a relationship with the creator un- unless the creator allows or um, uh, facilitates that somehow. And in the beginning, God created uh, men and women in his image to reflect something of who God is. And, and in that time, um, God uh, knew people, human beings. And people had the opportunity of walking with God, seeing God. But, but, because of sin, because of the hardness of our hearts, because of our rejection of that relationship, we thought we knew better. We thought we could do better off without God. And so because of sin, we turned away from God. We went our own way. We sought to build our own kingdom. We sought to live under our own rule. And because of that, the image that once was clear has become blurred, corrupt, broken. And so the means of knowing God is no longer there. So God had to do something. And it's where Jesus comes in. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, the word image comes from the Greek word icon, Uh, which is also where the word icon comes from. This is fairly straightforward linguistics. Icon, icon, uh, straightforward. Now, anyone who's used a computer in the last 20 years knows what an icon is. It's that little uh, image uh, on your desktop screen that you click on in order to access that program. So it might be iTunes or Spotify or Minecraft or whatever else. Uh, In order to access the fullness of what that program has to offer, the means of doing that is by clicking on the icon. And so in the same way, to access the fullness of what God has in store for us, the means of doing that is by going through Jesus, is looking to Jesus. Now, some of uh, the the computer wizards in the room uh, would come and say, well, Nick, there's actually a workaround. You could go to command prompt and type in uh, forward slash forward slash open file dot 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 open directory ABCD whatever. Okay, well, there's a workaround with programming but there's not a workaround with God. 
to see God, to know God. There's no other way we can know Him except through Jesus. It's not like we could, if we work really hard, we do the right things, and if we you know, go to church and say the right things at the right time and do all this, then, then we could know God. No, that's not the way to know God. It's not like we could go and pursue experience and pleasure and hedonism and, and just do it, whatever uh, makes us feel good and excited and chasing those adrenaline shots. And, and then when we, you know, the height of our euphoria, then we experience God. No, that's not how we experience God. The only way to see God is to look at the sun. To know God, He is the only one. And the reason is, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. That's not to understand He was the first to be born. And lots of, lots of um, other religions point to this passage and say, look, Jesus was not God because He was the first to be born. Like Jesus created him, he's separate from, from God in and of himself. That's not correct. It's not that he is the first to be born, he's the firstborn. He's the one who has the position of, of, of uh, honor and rank and authority over all creation. It's just like um, if you know the story of Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament. They were sons of Isaac, and Esau was the first, like, first to be born. He's the one that came first, but it was actually Jacob who was the firstborn, who was the heir, who was the one who had the position of authority and, and honor in that family. And so with Jesus, he's the firstborn, not the first to be born, but the one who has uh, the authority, the, the, the one of greatest rank and, uh, and authority over everything else, all other powers and dominions and rulers. It's because he, he created all things. All things were created through him. Jesus was not just present at creation. He was active in creation. In him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, the spiritual realm and what we can feel and see and touch, the, the visible and the invisible. God, Jesus was involved in creating all things. And that's the same with thrones and powers, and rulers, and authorities. Jesus created them all. He is greater than them all. The physical and spiritual authorities, he, Jesus is greater. The outcome of the election in the States this week, whoever that might be, Jesus is greater than them. The, the, the demons and the devil who whispers lies to us, Jesus is greater than them. He is greater than all of creation, over all things. For he, all things were created uh, through Him. Paul also says all things were created for Him. That's our purpose. Our purpose uh, is to magnify and glorify Jesus. We were created for Him. And take note, Paul doesn't say Christians were created for Jesus. Uh, Christians are the only one who live to honor Jesus and the rest of the world can go do uh, what, what they want. No, no, all creation was created with a purpose and that was to magnify and glorify Jesus. And what a tragedy it is that so many in this world aren't living up to the purpose that they were created for, that they were created for a reason, that they have value 
but they don't live up to it. They don't know about it. And so, so the, the incentive to share the hope we have is, is certainly to, to, to save people from, from God's judgment for rebelling at them, rebelling against Him, but also to show people the purpose that they were created for, that, you know, we're not here by mistake, that we were made for a reason. We we're made to magnify and glorify Jesus. Paul also says, in him all things hold together. He sustains all life. And in this way, um, someone very wise uh, reflecting on this verse with me said, this is how the gospel makes sense in our world. A world that's falling apart. That everyone's seeking to maintain control and just keep things together, but you know, we just need to be out there for a minute when we realize we are not in control. But there is a God who created all things and who sustains all things, who is in control, who is powerful, who's active in this world. It's not like he just, you know, Jesus created the world and then clicked the go button and he's like, all right, see you later, see you at heaven. No, no, he is active and involved, he's sustaining. He's working through his people. He's working in miraculous ways around the world. He's, he's working to bring healing and restoration and reconciliation. And it's not to say that if we're Christian and we trust in Jesus, that every, then we will have it all together, that everything will be all right. We know even from our friends uh, and brothers and sisters in India and in the persecuted church, often if you trust in Jesus, that means uh, more persecution a harder life. But God loves His people. He sustains all pe- people. He has a place for us for eternity, a hope that we can, we can have of a God who's sustaining us, protecting us. So as Christians, when things are falling apart around us, what's, what's our instinct? What do we turn to? You know, for me, um, it's, it's a minor example, but, you know, green team's coming up, and it's, it's a moving target. There's a lot of complex issues uh, with COVID, uh, with, you know, being so last minute trying to organise it, what, trying to figure out who's going to be along, coming along, where are we going to stay, what are we going to do, are we going to be cooking donuts, how many donuts, um, how many are we allowed to eat? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, in, in a lot of ways, actually, there's a great team around it, and things are going really well. But for a moment... Um, it did feel like things were falling apart and like, and my instinct was to jump at it and go, okay, what can I do? How can I fix this? But, but the first place to turn is not what can I do, but praying to the God who is in control, who sustains all things. You know, anxiety is the, th- the fear of things falling apart, of losing control. Do we put our hope and trust in Jesus? Or do we fear that everything will fall apart? Jesus is supreme over all creation. All creation was created by Him and through Him and for Him, and He is supreme over it all. He's supreme over creation. He's also supreme over the church. Supreme over the church. Uh, Paul says, Jesus the head of the body, the church. Now, of the uh, images of the church, the, I think this is the most powerful. First, because it's, it's a body, not a unit. 
that inherently it's community and diversity, uh, not just a single unit, but also that Jesus is the head. He is the purpose and authority. And this is a question that we've got to be asking uh, of the churches around the world and of our church. Is Jesus the head of our church? What's, what, is Jesus the head of Hills Baptist? You know, what's church all about? Why do we meet? Do we meet to learn new things and fill us up with new knowledge and deep theological insight? Do we meet uh, to have a, 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 an experience worshipping and fill up our spiritual tank? Do we meet to see our friends and to catch up and to socialize? Do we meet because that's the thing uh, we do in our family? No, Jesus is the head of the church, his body. Over the church, he is the purpose and authority. We don't meet for the sake of ourselves or even each other. It is for Christ we meet as sister and brother. We meet first and foremost to worship, to hear from, to respond to it, to experience Jesus. That's what church is all about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about Mark, the senior pastor. It's not about the elders. It's not about the society we're in. It's about Jesus and his work, his mission in this world. Jesus is the head of the church. Now, Paul unpacks uh, a few ways that that's worked out. The first is Jesus is the head of the church because he's the firstborn from the dead. I was, um, uh, a few weeks ago, um, I was at a winery and um, there was a, a radio station recording um, the radio, uh, for the radio, and it was the, oh, what was it? Um, uh, yeah, the Air Peninsula um, Poetry Club, uh, or Poetry Radio. Very cool, popular, I'm surprised you haven't heard it. Uh, <laughs> um, but they, they asked, they, I was passing by, and they're like, oh, do you want to... Um, you know, read some poetry and, and have a chat on the radio. I'm like, all oh, right, that sounds pretty fun. So I did, and they gave me a book, and I flicked through, found a poem. Um, it was this poem about not knowing what to say, and I thought, well, that's appropriate because I don't really know what to say. Uh, so I read that poem, and then they started asking me questions, like, what do I do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. And they said, okay, oh, pastor, so what do you do? You, what, you just marry people and, and funerals? And I'm like, oh, no, we do a bit more than that. And So what's the church all about? And I said, the church is trying to explain it to, um, uh, on the radio in a public setting to a non-Christian uh, person, I, I said, the, the church, we're a community of young people uh, seeking to have a positive influence on our world. And I thought at the time, that's a pretty good, you know, understandable answer. Uh, but the church is not a social club. It's not a, a um, social justice activist uh, community. It's not an um, overactive book club. The church is a community of believers who have been reborn. Jesus is the first one, first member of the church. And he became a member of the church when he rose from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he ushers in a new reality for all of his people that no longer are we destined for the grave, we are spiritually resurrected as well. 
And we look forward to a time when we will be physically resurrected and, and celebrate eternity with Jesus. That's what being the church is, is being a community of believers who have been reborn. For he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He started that movement when he rose from his deathbed. No longer are we held captive by sin, destined for the grave. Jesus rose from the dead so that into his new life we could be saved. His resurrection ushers us into a new reality. Eternal life, not a theory, but an actuality. The second thing uh, that how Jesus is the head of the church is he's the one that gives us access to God. And we already know this, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. But even more than that, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Not only was Jesus a man, a real human being, and in very nature, purpose, and identity, he was God in his very nature, purpose, and identity. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. So when we gather around Jesus and celebrate him and worship Jesus, we are worshiping God. And we can know God, and we can see God. And Jesus promises us that when we trust in him, in him, God's Spirit will also dwell in us so that we can have that personal relationship with God. We can uh, see His power work out through us, God's power. And the third thing, um, Jesus is the head of, church, head of the church because He brings reconciliation. He makes peace. The great um, ethnic divide of the first century was Jew and Gentile. They hated each other. They wanted nothing to do with each other. They would cross the street to avoid each other. They would travel massive distances just to avoid Jewish or Gentile towns. And there was, there was incredible persecution between the groups. But the, the powerful thing of the gospel, the powerful thing Jesus did, is that he brought reconciliation. The Jews and Gentiles once divided now gathered around Jesus, worshipping worshiping him. Worshipping Him. And it's the same today. There's no ethical or social or, or, or whatever divide that God doesn't bring together, that God doesn't reconcile. And it's not that, you know, the Jews had to, had to compromise and become Gentiles or the Gentiles had to compromise and become Jews. No, no, they gathered around Jesus. They became Christian. He is the one who brought reconciliation, because we are reconciled to God. And by, by drawing close to God, drawing close to Jesus, we draw close to each other. And so Jesus, by shedding his blood on the cross, paying for sin, he's brought peace. And the beautiful thing about the church is that we could go anywhere in the world in, with any people group and meet with them, and we would be meeting with brothers and sisters. Anywhere in the world, any people, the very people of God. Now, um, many, many of us uh, are skeptical of the church, and, and with good reason. The church has done some horrible things, really terrible things. The church's history is really ugly. And maybe people are watching the stream or listening to the podcast later um, because it's more convenient doing that than than going, coming to gather with God's people because there's, it's just so messy and, and corrupt and bad. And so the question to ask is, can we be a Christian 
and not go to church? Can we be a Christian and not go to church? And it's a tough question. It's a tough question. It's a bit like asking, can you be a swimmer and not go on water? Now, yeah, kind of, uh, but how do you show that you're a swimmer? How do you experience that? How do you demonstrate it? How do you work it out? You know, being in water doesn't make you a swimmer, uh, but it's how you demonstrate being a swimmer. Can you be Christian and not go to church? Well, kind of, but how do you show that you're a Christian? How do you experience? How do you work it out? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Faith in Jesus makes you a Christian. But as a Christian, we are part of Christ's body, and that is the church, of which Jesus is the head. Now, of course, church has a a million different expressions. There's, There's so many ways we could gather around Jesus. And as long as Jesus is the purpose and authority, uh, then it's, it's actually quite, it's, it's quite exciting, uh, the different variety of church uh, across the globe. And even more recently, uh, with COVID, that has drastically changed and challenged how we do church. But regardless, no matter what church you're part of, it's messy. It's tough. It's hard to be part of. It's broken. But it's the body of Christ. You know, something I jokingly say quite a lot is church is great if it weren't for all the Christians. But of course, there is no church without any Christians. And so what for us? What, what, what should we take away uh, from this? Jesus who is supreme over all creation, Jesus supreme over the church. Well, what Paul says for us, he turns his thoughts from Jesus to the reader and he reflects on us, that once we were alienated from God and enemies uh, and w- in our minds because of our evil behavior, we'd rejected God, we rebelled against God. Jesus, who, who's sovereign over all things, who's supreme, and yet Jesus, as supreme over the creation, supreme over the church, He loves us, little all us, enough to come down and to give His own body in order that we might be reconciled in order that we might be saved. Jesus, who is so much greater than I could ever explain or tell, loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And so once what was separated, Jesus has brought back together. All that is broken in us, He has made better. He did this so that we would be to His sight a presentation, holy, blameless, without fault, or accusation. Jesus has done that work, but we have work to do too. Paul says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Jesus has done the work, but we have work to continue in faith, to trust in the work that Jesus has done, to trust in the Jesus who is sovereign and supreme over creation and the church. Paul says, don't shift from the hope of the gospel. Don't turn away from that. There are so many voices, so many influences pulling us away from the truth and the hope of the gospel, telling us that Jesus is not supreme over creation. 
Uh, there are things out of his control. There are other things that we could turn to uh, when we're in need. Telling us that Jesus is not supreme over the church. That there, there are other things that are much, much more better and convenient uh, to do. So we can compromise on the headship of Christ to cater for our own desires or the desires of our society or, or whatever. There are those who are saying, who, drawing us away from the fact that Jesus died for us to save us. And that in his resurrection, we too have new life. In this dark world, Jesus is the beacon of light we can continually turn back to. He is the one who holds all things together. He is the one who reconciles and heals all relationships. He is the one who will forgive us, no matter what we've done. And so how do we experience God? If, you know, maybe we've done everything right and we've said all the right things, but there's still something not quite right. There's still um, uh, sins that we can't break, habits that we can't shake. What, what do we need to do in order to experience and see and know the God who created us? We look to the Son. We look to Jesus, who's supreme over all creation, supreme over the church, and gave his very life so that we could be saved. Now, my goal for this sermon was that you would know Jesus a little bit better, a little bit more, and that you would capture a vision for who he truly is. Now, like I said at the start, um, uh, Paul breaks out into this passage, and it's like a song, it's a hymn. Scholars consider either Paul wrote this as a hymn for the church to sing, or it was an already an established hymn that Paul refers to, uh, to, to uh, not just tell the readers uh, the truth about Jesus, but that they would know and feel in their heart who Jesus is. And to that end, I want to finish with something a little bit different. Uh, not everyone here uh, you know, can relate to a 30-minute sermon with three points and and you know, jot notes down and be able to digest that. And uh, to, to um, acknowledge that, I want to do something a bit more creative um, and to kind of honor the passage in the way that Paul wrote this. Uh, I want to do something a bit more uh, creative, and, and that is, is I've written a, um, a poem or a spoken word to share, uh, to express who Jesus is. And my desire is that you would not just know and understand that Jesus is supreme, that you would feel and know truly in your hearts that Jesus is supreme over everything we can imagine or dream. And so, Tim, when you're ready, there'll be lyrics uh, on the screen and also at the back, because I do move through fairly quickly. <clears throat> Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The God who is glorious, awesome, powerful creator. We are made in his image, but because of sin, we thought we could do better. Now the image is blurred, what once was clear. But praise the Lord, he didn't leave it there. His desire is to have a relationship with us, his children. Something needed to happen in order that we could know him. So he sent Jesus, his son, to be the perfect mirror. An image for us to show us the Father. To see the Father, we look at the Son. To know God, He is the only one. 
For Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. For by him and through him, God created all thrones, dominions, rulers, and nations. All things were created for him. All things were created through him. All things were created by him. He is the head of the church, his body over the church. He is the purpose and authority. We don't meet for the sake of ourselves or each other. It's for Christ we meet as sister and brother. For he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He began that movement when from his deathbed he rose his head. No longer we held captive by sin, destined for the grave. Jesus rose from the dead so that into his new life we could be saved. His resurrection ushers us into a new reality. Eternal life, not a theory but an actuality. This is why Jesus is glorified. And this is why Jesus is worshipped. He is the first. He is supreme over everything we could imagine or dream. For in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What this means, I'll attempt to tell. The Trinity, though separate, they are all one. That is the Father, the Spirit, and also the Son. Jesus is God in his very nature, purpose, and identity. Yet he's distinct from the rest as part of the Godhead Trinity. You see, Jesus is not just a man, but also a deity. In order to save the whole, uh, all people, not just one, it was necessity. So through Jesus, God reconciled all things on earth, and in heaven, restoration he brings. A world in turmoil, broken, burdened, rebelled, lost. Jesus redeemed through his blood shed on the cross. Paul then turns his thoughts from Jesus to the reader. What is the impact of the Christ incarnate creator? And you who were once alienated and rebellious and hostile, Jesus gave his body over to death in order to reconcile. What once was separated, Jesus has brought back together. All that is broken, he has made better. He did this so that we might be to his side of presentation, holy, blameless, without blemish or accusation. He has done this work, but we have work to do too. In repentance and faith, he called us to continue, to be established and firm in the hope of the gospel proclaimed to all through Paul, his servant, apostle. You see, the ultimate purpose for God's creation is that Christ would come and bring restoration. To die on a cross, our debt to be forgiven, our sin to be taken, his righteousness given. He rose from the dead and conquered the grave and draws to himself the people that he saved. And now we've become the people of God to worship him for all of this life and beyond. In Christ, we are restored, renewed, set free, gathered around our Savior for all of eternity. That is who we are. This is who He is. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Amen. Let me, let me pray as the band comes up. God, we just want to know you more. We want to encounter the true Jesus. And, and God, I just, I just pray that tonight that everyone would have experienced, not just known, but experienced who you are. That you are supreme over all creation. All things were made through you and you sustain all things. That you are supreme over the church. That you are authority and our purpose. And that, that as the body of Christ, we meet to celebrate and worship and listen and to serve you. And God, we pray uh, that, that we would continue in faith, where we continually return to what your word has to say about who you are, 
that we return to the truth of the gospel, that we return to, to gather as your people, to, to, to encourage one another and to spur one another on and to, um, to continue to preach to each other the gospel, who you are, that you are supreme and powerful and you love us more than we can imagine. And God, I pray uh, that whatever people have going on, if it's a good week or a horrible week, I pray that they would trust in you, that I would trust in you, and truly know that you are the Lord of all things, your supreme God, and we submit to you, and we love you, and we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.